0: Welcome to Stupid Not Stupid. I'm Matt here with my man Jason, the co-host on whom the character of Scrooge McDuck was originally based.
1: <laughs> yeah, I just pref- I prefer swimming in paper money than uh, than the coins, but otherwise, yeah, basically. <laughs> I
0: thought you swam in crypto, Jason.
1: <laughs> Wrong episode.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, well, uh, it's the month of December, which means we're uh, fulfilling our yearly tradition. We're like on year three of it now, so I guess it's a tradition of uh, recording remotely, which means we're actually going to get a bunch of episodes done. It seems like the further apart we are from each other, the more consistently we're, we're going to generate content.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, because uh, we spend less time watching TV and <laughs> and playing ping pong. Yeah. Uh,
0: the other thing that I want to respect, uh, too, like getting back to our OG roots, also, I feel like we've officially both gone back to basements now, like the original home of the podcast being recorded oh, in a basement. Right. Are we both in a basement right now? We are both in basements, yeah. A couple thousand miles apart, but yes, both in basements. <laughs> well, speaking of creatures that lurk in basements, uh, we have a guest on the show. Uh, I, I was going to say this week, but I guess it's this month. Um, and we recently recorded an episode with him in which we gave a great introduction that like listed out all the things that he was first in Right. Uh, as a as a guest on the show. And I guess all of that will have to exist in your memory because I can't remember any of it. And then the episode was officially vetoed for release. Uh, so we'll not be coming out. Um, <laughs> so a, he is, he the is the now officially episode. Yeah. Yeah. So he's <laughs> officially the first guest to be a guest on an episode that was so controversial that even we vetoed it. So uh, <laughs> welcome to the show, Dr. Tyler for the third slash fourth time.
2: Oh, it's it's great to be with you all. It's, uh, it's an honor and a pleasure, and I am joining you from a basement, and it doesn't matter that it's my mom's basement, it is a basement.
0: <laughs> I almost killed you right there!
1: <laughs> well, my favorite part is the last episode that we vetoed was because of the nudity, and it's on audio.
0: <laughs>
2: it was so egregious that we had to veto it.
0: <laughs> uh, well, Tyler, since you're a veteran, you know the drill, so what are you drinking?
2: Uh, I... Um you know, I took the topic tonight to to, uh, to heart, and so I am trying to tap into my bourgeoisie roots and drinking red wine, but in <laughs> in, in an act yet balance. another first. in an an act of balance it's so cheap and bitter that it's painful to drink to remind me of my proletariat roots so uh, yeah
0: I just think the I I wish maybe I'll find a way to copy in the banter that was taking place before we actually started the episode here Tyler was uh, and this will be a shout out to uh, super fan Joey Tyler was uh, espousing espousing the merits of the beverage Rainier uh, the nastiest beer on the planet (laughs) it's the greatest Uh, no you shut your face he is
3: the
2: greatest
0: beer. And now he's going full bourgeoisie red wine. I don't think there are two further ends of the spectrum, Rainier and well, red wine.
2: I'm starting with red wine, but um, as, as you've inspired me, I'm going to be going and getting one of the remaining Rainier Tallboys I have in the fridge. So uh, <laughs> that'll be beer number two. Drink yeah. that and
1: Matt, right, okay. after you referred to me as Scrooge McDuck, I actually prefer his description of the red wine as cheap and bitter. That, that I think is actually <laughs> more fitting. <laughs> uh, what, what do you got this time, Jason? Uh, so being at home, uh, I didn't go to the 7-Eleven and pick up a six-pack of raging <laughs> bitch on the way over to your house. So I'm drinking a Guinness and uh, finishing off a bottle of Bowman Brothers bourbon, which has uh, – Oh, nice. Yes, has made a showing on this this – podcast before it's uh one of my faves and i I had it's basically the only bourbon i had left in the house
0: (laughs) well i uh i'm on um beautiful sunny snowy Woodby island at the moment and i made a mistake i had this idea in my head i was like oh we're gonna record a bunch of episodes and i'm gonna go down to the grocery store and get a bunch of because you know like when you walk into the store in alexandria they're like craft tall boys and you can right. buy like a single can. So I was like, I'm going to go and I'm going to like assemble a collection of different beers. And we're going to do like five episodes while I'm uh, while I'm back home. And I'll do a different craft beer at each one. Well, I got there. And because I live in a town with one stoplight and a quarter of a beer section, uh, it was impossible <laughs> to buy a single tall boy. And then because I live on an island and everything has to be friggin' imported, I tried to buy a six pack of craft beer. And it was like $23 <laughs> for a six pack. So I ended up Where getting some. You go? uh the red apple in coopville the uh, oh, organic yeah, yeah, yeah. grocery store the only yeah. grocery store so basically what, I love the red apple basically yeah, what you're telling uh, us then is you're
1: drinking like a, a budweiser Limerita mixed with some four loco right no so there's
0: a there's a new um there's a new brewery on the island called pencove brewing so i ended up getting something that was like ultra local this one's called uh corner coast and it has a picture of a orca on it so i had
2: one of their ipas all there; there is delicious yeah to those guys
0: yeah so i'll tag them or say something about them but because i had an orca it felt very pnw so i went with corner coast uh you probably can't find it where you are uh, but i encourage you to try it if you're ever at the red apple in coopville washington (laughs) so now that we got the uh the drinks out of the way uh maybe it's time to get down to business and I, I just – it's a holiday season and um, it's a time of giving, a time of reflection, a time of thankfulness. And one of the things that I like to do uh, when I think about all three of those uh, verbs and adjectives is uh, to reflect yeah. on how yeah. – Drink heavily. Right? <laughs> yeah. Re- re- reflect on how rich I am myself. Uh, and it, Jason, it really is crazy to think about you know how wealthy we've become since we began the show. It's almost not fair.
1: Uh, it, it is kind of shocking
0: yeah, the, the turn of fortune that both of us have encountered over the past several years. Yeah, but It's not directly tied to the show, per se, but no. No. our, our, our fact, buying was, power like has increased. The show is <laughs> diametrically opposed to those fortunes, right? <laughs> this is a waste but, of time. <laughs> but then the, the question I have then, Jason, and I don't know if this really holds true for Dr. Tyler, too, but are we too rich? Like, have you and I, have we just exceeded uh, what is reasonable to expect Uh, for our, I guess, level of income, potential, just like general human prowess? Like, should we expect to be as wealthy as we are? Or have we just gone far beyond the pale? Well, I've got a a good friend who uh, makes considerably more money than I do. And I remember talking
1: to him about this. And basically, despite the fact that he makes almost five times what I make, uh, he's living a more hand-to-mouth existence than I am. And when I asked him how that was even remotely possible, his answer was, mo' money, mo' problems.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, so what you're saying is we should be more rich like we um, we'll have a we'll have a uh, commensurate amount of problem like lifestyle won't really change we'll that's just right. have that's right. yeah the, the corresponding number of problems that we need <laughs> well regardless of our personal situation i'd ask i'd ask dr tyler if he thinks he's too rich but he's a kept man his wife uh pays all the bills so we're not really interested in his feedback uh, exactly. Uh, from his yes. yeah. No, <laughs> exactly yeah. no if
2: if, if gonna, you be careful. I'm gonna bring her down here, and she's gonna yell at you. So uh, <laughs> it's one of her favorite. In,
0: in my experience with Doctor Tyler's wife, she wouldn't yell. She would give like a really, like a really dirty side <laughs> eye and a and a head, sh- a disappointed shake of the head. Is yeah. what you're more yeah, that's, likely to get.
1: It's
2: probably about right. But it, the fact yeah, of the matter is, if
0: be- if Doctor Tyler had his wife's money, he'd throw his money away. <laughs> <laughs>
2: It's much more exciting. It's far better
0: money than mine. <laughs> so the the stupid not stupid uh, question for this episode is: Should there be a cap on wealth? And what I did is uh, broke this down into maybe two ways, two angles, or two stupid not stupid questions we should answer to come at it. And is it a good idea to cap wealth? And then is it feasible? And the reason we invited Dr. Tyler to be on the show is uh, he's the closest thing to a Republican we have in our immediate friend group. Uh, <laughs> Which is <laughs> em- embarrassing. <laughs> well, I, I think, Dr. Tyler, you define yourself as a libertarian. Is that right? I,
2: uh, in some areas, yes. I may – how would I describe this? A Well, as you and I are from uh, the same areas – uh, I'm a Pacific Northwest libertarian, which means I'm very progressive libertarian on social issues, but uh, it gets murky in some other areas. But you know what? I'm going to tap hard into my uh, into my Tea Party, you know, origins. <laughs> here. I'm gonna I'm gonna like go over and light some incense at my uh, uh, shrine to Rand Paul and and his father and. Uh, and call on the spirit of Anne Rand to come to me tonight, and uh, we'll see where it takes us.
1: Oh, that's fascinating! I've known you for years, and I always thought you were just a contrarian jackhole. I didn't realize you were a libertarian. <laughs> <laughs> T-
0: Tyler's whole thing They're is one uh, and the same. Yeah. Uh, Tyler's whole thing is marry whoever you want, but don't touch my guns or money. That's that's, that's,
3: that's, that's
1: <laughs> yeah. That's
2: actually pretty close to my Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Pretty uh, much. I, it's, I actually feel like no one else will care about this and we're going on a tangent now but i don't really care i feel like i understand you so much better now tyler that i spent an evening getting in, like blackout intoxicated with your father um it was like <laughs> oh. i was looking into you like 20 30 years from now he,
2: he, he then he then called me a week later and he said you know i really he's like I'm, a, I'm at the gym at the mall i was like oh really how's that he's like it's good uh i'm listening to to the guys i was like the fuck are you talking about it's like oh i got the podcast on it's like you have stupid or not stupid he's like yeah yeah yeah. i downloaded it i was like wow you're one of their 10 fans fantastic this is great
3: i'll
0: have you know that i i i check monthly and we uh Actually, I should send you our Spotify rap to Tyler. We maintain our placement is in the top 10% of all active podcasts in the world. That, so,
3: <laughs> I we, think, uh, We're
0: think, in the hundreds of down- listeners. We're in the hundreds of listeners club, not the tens so, of listeners club anymore. Yeah, if you well, want to
2: find- break down that's, those statistics, it's uh, –
1: <laughs> What I find fascinating about that, Matt, is not that we're in the top 10%, but that they, they still count us as an active podcast. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Jeez. All right. So, again, the, the question here is, should there be a cap on wealth? Is it a good idea? And then is it feasible? So – first the first part of this is it a good idea so I'm just gonna throw some stats at you guys to help uh, paint a picture here and I think it's going to become pretty clear pretty quickly which side of this stupid not stupid question I'm on but here's just some some data for you to uh, turn over in your minds before we uh, open up the door to dr Tyler's argument for anarchy but from 1990 <laughs> from 1990 to now the number of billionaires in the world or I'm sorry just in the United States has grown from 66 to 745. That's crazy. So that's just from 1990. <laughs> Worldwide, There are 3,000 billionaires. And just in 2021 alone, those 3,000 billionaires increased their wealth by over $5 trillion, which is the greatest expansion of wealth in world history, like hands down, not even close. The richest 1% of Americans have 13 times more wealth than the bottom 50%. And the top 10 richest people in the world doubled their fortunes over the first two years of the pandemic. So there's a baseline. That's just scene setting for us right there. So Dr. Tyler, off the top, or or Dr. Jason, sorry. I thought thought Jason was going to be on my side. But off the top, why is all of that okay? Well, Matt, first of all, you're not taking inflation into account. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> that, actually it, no, that actually makes there it no that actually makes it is. worse when you think about it
1: well i mean technically the value of a dollar goes down over time so you know a billionaire today is different than a billionaire in 1990 but that said uh there's but it's, not it's enough not of, by a
0: factor of like 66 to 745 that's, that's what yeah. i was about
1: to say is that it, it yeah. that was the joke about inflation not being taken into account is it it is a very, very, very minor data point in what we're
0: discussing, and it in uh, no I, way is an explanatory variable here. I, I would say this. I would be ready to totally agree with whatever weak, crappy argument that Dr. Tyler is about to make if at the same time minimum wage had increased at a proportional ratio. Right. Um, right. But explain explain to me why all this is okay, Dr. Tyler.
2: Oh, see, yeah. You uh, – <clears throat>
0: hang on. Oh, he's reaching I'm for the sorry. encyclopedia I'm... of rich people. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, he had, yeah, he had no, to get but his but...
1: monocle. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, 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 no! When you're a billionaire, someone else brings you your monocle. He's a monocle <laughs> yeah. guy.
1: You've got a button you press, Jeeves, and they just bring it. Up. Yeah,
0: yeah. Jeeves just
2: left. Uh, look, I, I, I will say this. Um, the, the traditional argument is that if you create, I think this is. This Are you about to trickle down
0: like, economics, me, right now?
2: <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. I mean, not you strap, strap in and find out? The, it, I think that probably like the most espoused argument, and and I. I think it can be pieced apart is that if you were to to institute a wealth cap, that because there is such a percentage of the, and let's say like, let's scope it to America, right? There's such a percentage of the American population that, right or wrong, look at the ultra wealthy, like not the 1%, but the 0.1% and are like, hell yeah, I could do that. And then they're because of that.
0: I love how they all live south of Richmond, Virginia, in Tyler's scenario, based off that (laughs) accent.
2: They could live 20 miles north, but not much further than that. But uh, that's not true. I've spent plenty of time in the Midwest, and there's a few of them there. Uh, But there's, I think that there's a large, not large, there's a decent uh, and a percentage that matters, uh, percentage of the population. That looks at that, as for that small group of people, and they believe that they can achieve that. And so if you, the idea of a wealth cap, if you institute that, I think it would actually have a sprawling effect. It could, again, this is the argument. I'm not mm-hmm. espousing this, that it would cause people to not work. Like it would, it would decrease productivity, or it would, it would decrease the entrepreneurial aspirations of those to try to strive and achieve that. And, and those are the people that become the, you know, the, the whomevers, the, the ultra-rich, and they're the American innovators and blah, blah, blah. All
1: right. So th- that's the argument. Let's de- debunk that on two different levels here. The first one, and I'm assuming Matt's probably already got some data for this because I don't know the exact numbers, but I know that the, the trend is accurate. Uh, if you look at social mobility, the ability to move from one income yep. class structure to another- over the pa- over my lifetime over the past 50 years meant that has completely collapsed the chances of moving from uh, lower income to middle income or middle income to upper income th- the chances of being able to do that are vanishingly small to the point where it's almost statistically insignificant
0: <laughs> the the irony of that is selling the dream of being able to do that is, Kind of what Trump is doing with Trump trading cards and Trump merchandise and all right, this stuff, right. and it's just increasingly widening that gap by continuing to enrich himself. Yeah, um, absolutely. And again, this is not this is not a political viewpoint. I mean, these are facts. No, no, no tra- it's, it's just ironic. This. It's just data. Yeah. Um, but no, yeah, J- Jason's right on the on the data perspective. And I think the the point you're raising, Jason, from the, it, the inheritance question is one we'll probably get into in the practicality, like, is it possible side of things? Yeah. But looking at those gaps and kind of those strata specifically, T- Dr. Tyler made an interesting point, like saying people look at the top 0.01%. But what if you just look at the 1%? How much money, Dr. Tyler, do you think that someone needs to make? We'll go on household income here to be in the top 1% of the united states well first before you answer that before you say that i'll ask you two questions what percentile do you think you're in because i have a pretty good idea of your household income and i can tell you and number two like what do you think constitutes the top one percent i'm
2: not gonna share information personal information with you You're, you're gonna go and steal my identity this has happened twice already
3: and i don't know why i'm on this
2: podcast anymore uh who constitutes the 1% i think that i think the answer is higher than everyone thinks like, mm-hmm. to be in the 1% like i think it used to be like oh if you make a million dollars a year then you're in the 1% but i really think it's probably higher than that i'm going to say like i'm going to say 5 million dollars a year in america
1: so here's my favorite part about this is you're assuming that this is based on on income and this is one of the fundamental problems with the entire system mm-hmm. is how do you define income? Because most people, I think, define income as wages. The people that we're wages, talking yeah. about, if you're in the yeah. one percent, really
2: wages, wages yeah, well, have
1: almost no impact on your wealth status whatsoever. No,
2: you're 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 right. Yeah, yeah. No, that, and that's a that's a really good observation. Um, I, I
0: I think. It's, do you want re- to revise like, your number?
2: Yeah, I'm going to say, like, in terms of like estimated wealth or, or however they would gauge it, I'm going to say, like, in terms of net. Is it like net wealth or whatever? Uh,
0: net value you're generating for yourself per
2: year. This is just like a complete ballpark figure. I'm going to say 500 million.
0: Okay, so like 500 wealth. million puts you in the top 1%. And then what percentile do you think in terms of like income you're generating, and it can be passive off of wealth you already own or income from employment, what percentile do you think you fall into? As just an average everyday American.
2: Well, what's the average income annual income in the United States like sixty eight well, or seventy thousand I think it's,
0: I think that's you're, adjusted
2: for our area th- I think it's actually less than that
0: You're well, in the neighborhood You're not exactly
2: correct But you're in the neighborhood Yes yeah, I would say like fifty to sixty somewhere in there um, I'm gonna say I'm in the thirtieth percentile.
0: Sorry. So yeah, I put you in the 70th percentile. The top 30, so 70th percentile. Okay, so you're you're way off on both. And this is okay. what's crazy about your earlier argument saying people look at the top 0.01% and see and say like, "Oh, that's what I can get to." They don't even need to get close to that. So, to be in the 99th percentile, you only need a household income in the United States of $570,000. That's it. That's all it takes to get into the 99th percentile. Okay,
2: so I. No, not all Jeez, well, no,
0: I think the three of us general. I think the three of us on this call now that uh, you know Jason has a quote unquote roommate uh, have general <laughs> similar household incomes. And so I just did the math, and the, our three households, and I don't think that I'm like exceedingly wealthy or living a bougie lifestyle, but we are in the top eight percent of global earners. Our three households. That's insane to think about in well, my – that's,
2: uh, that, that's global from my or U.S.?
0: Both. Oh, no, Ooh. no, no. I'm sorry. In the U.S. We're the top, we're oh, the the top US, 8% okay. in the U.S. We're way, way higher globally. Yeah, we're definitely Over the top 1%. globally. globally. Almost yeah. ha- almost half the world lives on less than $2 a day. Right. Almost right. half the people in the world. Yeah.
2: No, the, globally, I think is like a whole different discussion. But yeah, U.S., okay. Yeah. So,
0: so when we're talking about the kind of aspiration factor here, or who's really driving the economy, we're not talking about the top one percent. We're talking about the top zero 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 one percent. Was the analogy that that you were on, Dr. Tyler? Think about it. We're not even doing. Ex- I, I don't feel like it, like we don't own like boats or planes. Or we're not going on extravagant vacations. And the three of us have almost maxed out on what we can reasonably expect to get to from a percentile point of view.
1: Yeah, I think that's right. Uh, at this point you know amassing wealth for us is the amount of money you're able to save or or invest or you know right. purchase property or whatever so it's it's about accumulating wealth over the next 30 to 50 years it's not you know less for me obviously cuz i'm older than you guys but uh it's you're it's 32 we Right.
3: <laughs>
1: jesus <Christ. laughs> um Yeah, so you know the amount of wealth that we are likely to generate in our lifetimes is pretty predictable at this point. We're not; it's not, you know, short of winning a lottery or uh, unless one of you has a very very wealthy relative that I'm unaware of. We're not going to inherit money. So, Jason,
2: you're my wealthy
1: relative. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And you know, a lot of the, a lot of the way that people don't really understand the, the the US system, a lot of the way that people end up with with these massive amounts of money is they have a ton of money to start with and are able to invest in things exactly. that you and I can't invest in.
0: Like, right. And so, Dr. Yeah. Tyler, does this make you then re- – what Jason's saying, plus that statistic, does that make you kind of rethink your position here? Because – it's a great narrative. It's a great talking point to say like, oh, it's entrepreneurship and it's no one's ever going to be motivated to go out and like build the next Microsoft if so we were to put a cap on wealth. That's the second but, point I
1: want to debunk, but we'll get to that in a minute. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. No one, but what were most of these billionaires, we said the jump from like the 60 to 750 or whatever it was, most of that is inherited wealth, not created wealth. That's right. It's just that the the... Uber rich, the bourgeoisie, as you so affectionately called them at the beginning, <laughs> taking me back to my grad school days, my just people. accumulated yes, so. even, more, even more massive amounts of money and then disseminated that to their descendants who then had the base capital necessary to build that wealth over again.
2: Yeah, uh, it's difficult here because I don't necessarily agree with what I'm saying. However, uh, you do that. You I, do that for a living, though, Doctor Correct. Tyler. That is that is correct. Yeah, <laughs> um, I just don't want to do it in my personal life. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, uh, I think that there's uh, there are arguments to be made <clears throat> that, in addition to kind of being the entrepreneurial side of things, which I think you know, like uh, okay, there's probably like anecdotal evidence of like. Well, you know, Reagan only made a certain number of movies a year because he knew that he would get taxed to like above a certain bracket too much and it wouldn't be worth it. So he just stopped doing things and then he became president. Like, oh, okay. I think like, you know, you could pull out ones and twos kind of examples, but I guess like to the, the, the real response to what you and Jason are saying is that like, is it more apt than to say that there needs to be an inheritance tax? Uh, that's far more significant and far
1: more impactful, rather than a wealth cap or a wage cap or whatever. So those are two different issues, and I think that we're going to get into both of them. But before we get there, I do want to address this issue of motivation. Right, this idea that right. the 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 concept that you can reap the benefits of your own ingenuity, your own you know work ethic to become wealthier in this country, that, that that by reducing the amount of wealth that you would be able to accumulate in your lifetime, that would reduce the incentive for people to do these things, is easily debunked about a about hundred different ways, beginning with yep. the wealthy people are usually not the ones who are doing the innovation. They're the ones who are investing right. in various things occasionally. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's about, you know, they're providing some liquidity, but they're not the ones who are actually Creating the things and most of the people who are creating things are not getting wealthy off of it because it's usually under the uh, auspices of a University or a company or the government who actually owns the rights to their the the the, you know, whatever it is It's produced by their labor uh, In the course of their regular everyday job. So those people clearly don't have any issues with motivation aside from a regular paycheck I think that most innovation actually comes from being interested in a thing and the money is ancillary to that.
0: Elon Musk would like a word, Jason. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, but on that though, I mean, this is – I thought about this earlier too and Jason's point is reminding me of it. When I when I was talking to you guys about that, that percentile spectrum and, and where we fall, like I don't particularly idolize billionaires. Like I didn't grow up looking at them and saying like, oh, that's the reason I want to get up and get a job and do stuff. And in the past nine years, like I have gone – I went and looked at it. In the past nine years, I have gone from the 14th percentile to the 93rd percentile. And it had nothing to do with being motivated by superstars of capitalism or looking at billionaires and saying, I want to be like that. It just came from being motivated not to be in the 14th percentile and, and working. Right. I mean, to, to say we need the ultra rich to motivate the ultra-poor, I think, is a, is a consistently used and a consistently weak argument. And I, I'll go
1: you one better. If you look at what most people in the United States, poor, middle class, upper class, like When they think about moving up in the the socioeconomic strata, what most people are interested in is not becoming the next Bill Gates or the next Elon Musk. They're interested in becoming the next Tom Cruise or the next, you know, rock star or sports star. (laughs) That has – I mean – the money aspect of that is certainly nice, but it's as much fame as it is money, right?
0: It's no. I was more interested in be, being the not have to drink Rainier anymore right. guy. Like I wanted to, I wanted to be able to afford craft beer. That's the threshold I was trying to reach.
2: <laughs> On that note, I'm-
0: <laughs> <laughs> see, this is the kind of pornography that the last podcast got banned. That's for right. <laughs> as, Tyler pulls, as Tyler pulls out his can of Rainier, yeah,
2: just let me just move this closer.
0: I'm pretty Dude, sure, isn't it? A, isn't it illegal? Isn't that stuff that's like nuclear rip. waste? Can you? You're not allowed to move it over state lines. Should, should you, you know be what? able to have that? I'm a
2: libertarian. I don't need any of that government. You don't. You don't. Re- <laughs> you don't, re-
0: you don't <laughs> recognize I'm, state lines. Absolutely.
2: Okay. I don't. Rep- yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I don't recognize that. I'm a sovereign citizen. For fuck's sake. <laughs> um, All
0: right. Well, before we try to make a ruling here on the first part of the question, on is it a good idea or not, I'll throw. Uh, I'll throw one more factoid out at you guys or a crab factual as long-term listeners of the show will uh, (laughs) know that we affectionately call it the top, the world's top 1% are responsible for double the emissions of the bottom 50%. So think about that too for a minute. So now we're talking about it now, not just from an economic perspective, but from an impact on the shared asset that we all have the planet. Right.
1: Yeah. So you're talking about basically
0: Levels of pollution the best, of various kinds, right? right. It, yeah, that it's in the best interest of all of us, including the ultra rich, that the ultra rich be curtailed in some way because that statistic's only going to continue to become more disproportionate. Again, the top one percent, so people earning over five hundred and fifty four thousand dollars a year and above, are responsible for double the emissions of the bottom fifty percent. Think about that. So, but is that global emissions? That's global emissions. Yeah, okay. That, well, this is globally. So it's, my, not, it's not hard to make no emissions
2: when you don't have a car and don't have anything. Right. Right. Well, which that's is depressing. But, yeah. That's
0: exactly where I was
1: going with this. I suspect that mm-hmm. that's it's not the individuals; it's the companies that they own. Right. It's the mm-hmm. it's the larger entities that they own, which are actually corporate in structure. Because if those people actually did own that stuff directly, then when the you know when those companies got sued for doing. You know, some kind of environmental damage, or you know, hurting Mm -hmm. people, or something. Those people would lose their money. They would they would lose their livelihoods. But the way that we have the corporate structure in the United States, it's specifically to protect those people. And that goes back to you know, know, uh, uh, Dr. Tyler was talking about this idea of wealth being the motivator. Well, in fact, it's. It's risk that turns out to be the bigger motivator, right? People are less likely to do things if there's a risk that they could lose everything. And that's why we have these corporate structures that protect your individual wealth while allowing the company or you know, shareholders or whatever to take the actual risk. They limit liability. Correct. <clears throat> it's built into the name. You know, people under a certain level of income just don't have those kinds of protections because they're not investing. You know, they're, they don't have enough money to be taking those risks to begin with. But it's not to say that they're not taking risks that, you know, uh, uh, could impact their entire livelihood. In fact, I think they take far more than the wealthy people do. <laughs> so that's
0: a solid that's a solid counter argument to my point. But it it opens the door to th- the next argument I wanted to make on why this is potentially a not stupid idea. And that's that yes, they when you talk about liability and you talk about the system that's built to protect them and mitigate the risk. But let's say, for example, I don't know, Elon Musk or Bezos or Bill Gates or whoever. Say they were born in Argentina or China or North Korea or somewhere else, and they had the exact same ideas that they had. They're the same mind, the same motivation, the same everything, but existed in a different, a different structure, a different country with different set of rules. Sure, their companies. I don't think. Anyone agrees that their companies would look the same or would have progressed, they would have extracted value from it the same way or become as wealthy as they've become. They became wealthy because they were either, for most of, for I think, is Musk the only one sort of on that list who wasn't born in the United States, but it, it immigrated here and benefited from the system. They are benefiting from an infrastructure. That the bill is footed by the majority of people who are not even near their income bracket, right? Yeah. Without a, you know, a Federal Reserve, without, you know, roads and infrastructures and a 21st century economy and, And you know, public uh, education. Access to consumers, public education, a workforce, um, you know, (laughs) tax loopholes, a legal and contract system
1: that's enforceable. Yeah.
0: It, it, exactly. So to say that they built it themselves, or that's mine and I built it. No, you built it on the back. Frankly, and this is going to set Doctor Tyler off. Tyler off. <laughs> they built it on the back of socialism. Is really what they built it on the back of.
2: Uh, here we go. <laughs> uh, <this. laughs> got to pull this rainier out here and just sit
0: <laughs> that was that was that was probably uh, brewed in a probably facility that received <laughs> yeah. that, that received tax subsidies and driven to you on a nationalized inter, interstate system which you uh, took through an airport that's protected by the TSA and protected well, by that doesn't uh, do by though, the- does it? That sure
2: doesn't help anything <laughs> but you that see my point fucking nothing i don't know uh, no i what I was, was going to say is that, first of all, what we need to acknowledge is that our dear leader definitely had that idea, and Pyongyang Amazon, or Pyongyang, as I'd like to call it, is <laughs> doing exceptionally well, um, so we should just respect that. Um, <laughs> I, I did want to go, like, linking this and your the previous of question that you asked, because, you know, climate change has become, whether we like it or not, like, this hyper-politicized issue which sucks um, but then it, you know kind of going back to the idea of the, the 0.01% and um, the argument that that is used as an argument against you know things like wealth cap, um, universal basic income. I don't know why it's used as an argument against minimum wage embraces which is beyond me but whatever. It's kind of a question of like are all the arguments surrounding wages and kind of base level economics are we just at a point where they're not excuse me economic arguments and they're just political arguments
1: it's difficult for me to understand how how they're anything other than political arguments at this point the data is pretty clear on the impact of all of these things that we're talking about right we've we have done this experiment in the United States for over a hundred years at this point we've tried all the different various models. And we see what happens and what doesn't. I mean, you know, it's a large complex system with a lot of variables, so you can't say anything uh, is definitively good or definitively bad, but you can certainly see the trends. Like, we've now tried, you know, Matt (laughs) mentioned the trickle-down economics theory. We've tried voodoo economics now three separate times, and we've seen the exact same result every single time, which is an increasing disparity in wealth, right?
2: You know, you know, er, uh, I knew that this uh, discussion was going to come up. So earlier today, I tried four separate times to actually yank myself off the ground by my own bootstraps, and it didn't work. <laughs> um, which is weird, I know. But and some of the Reagan uh, supporters might be perturbed at the moment. But it's pro- I'm going to keep trying because right. that's also. Of the of organism,
1: so. See, my issue was I, I, I have boots, but I don't have any boot straps. I tried to order them on Amazon, and it just it was confused. <laughs> no, 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 no. We have no matches for your search. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs>
2: jason's trying to pull himself up by boot zippers yeah. and it's just like not working he doesn't have enough grip it's
3: okay it's, right. it's
2: i tried
0: the same you guys i tried the same thing today and i had no problem getting myself up the stairs by my penny loafers so i pulled myself i pulled myself right up so right in my, my yes. seersucker suit didn't even touch the ground
2: and carly's like would you get the fuck out of bed already and take care of our
0: children all right so it seems like maybe we're I don't know if we're split. Uh, Jason might be the uh, Justice Roberts here swing vote. I'm firmly in the camp of like, this is not a stupid idea for a bunch of the reasons that well actually hold on let me throw one more out before i make the call the the other reason why i think this is something we should seriously look look at is all the money because of the obscene levels of wealth that we've graduated to where it's beyond even what a person could spend in their lifetime realistically the amount of money that's out of circulation that otherwise could be put back into circulation if there was a cap on it surely dr tyler from your libertarian uh Barca lounger over there like you can see the value of reinjecting money back into the economy that's just sitting uh, fallow somewhere, not actually generating or circulating or doing anything for the economy.
2: Here's here's my question: Can you demonstrate, and this is a genuine question because I don't I don't mm-hmm. know the answer. Show me evidence where it's worked. Where has it mm-hmm. worked? Like an example where a wealth cap has been implemented, money's been you know yanked out of like the Edward Jones you know storage mm-hmm. vault and put that at a good back in the economy. I'm not disagreeing
0: with you. I'm There's just genuinely only, curious. Yeah, no, I looked into this too. There are only examples of where it hasn't worked, and there was only really <laughs> one I could find where it was like done on a nationalized scale, and it's uh, in the Republic formerly known as Zaire. Um, but in the DRC, you know, this was kind of the Classic. precursor to yeah. the revolution, right? They said, like, well, it's because all these rich, wealthy farmers control all the land, so let's go take all the wealth, redistribute it, and um, you know, the rest is history. Isn't that what the Soviets uh, did? Yeah. Well, <laughs> but there. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, that's another example. That's a good point. Well, not to the same degree, I think. But
1: right. I mean, fundamentally, when you were saying, you know, that I was the swing vote on this this argument, my issue is not that whether or not we should have a wealth cap, because I don't think that that's the right question. I think that the actual question is what do you do with that money? Because mm-hmm. if it is, as you say, locked up, and I think that that's actually not really the case. I think it's just a question of where it gets invested, and at times when you know, new it's, it's not profitable or not as profitable to start new businesses. That money ends up going to different places. It gets lent to the government or it gets uh, invested in real estate or it gets invested in, in various different places. It doesn't it's, it's not like locked up because nobody's like sticking this money under their mattress and it just freezes. but it can end up in places that are not productive to society. Right, and that's, that is a
2: great visual, though, of like a really bald, like anxious Jeff Bezos stuffing yeah, his, Benjamin Franklin's <laughs> under his mattress, yeah, his, his three hundred and fifty
1: <laughs> billion singles under a mattress. Yeah yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the, the the real question is, if you cap wealth, the wealth is still going to be generated. Where does it go? Right.
0: And, okay, so this gets yeah, then to the second question. Then. Right. So I am I think, Jason, I think what I hear you saying, and correct me if I'm wrong, that you're saying this question, this concept of like, yes, there are benefits to doing it is not stupid. But a question remains, is there a feasible pathway and how would it work?
1: I think I would phrase it slightly differently. I would say it's not stupid if you can find a better use for the wealth. And I don't okay. know that we have necessary like, – I, I think we've seen hints at better uses for that wealth, and I, I, I'll get into that as we address this question. But I don't – to Tyler's point, I don't think you've seen a, a, a good example of taking wealth from wealthy people and putting it to a better use uh, inherently Sure. just because that experiment really hasn't been tried.
0: Yeah, I'm not here to say that there's a case study on how it could work. I'm here to say that I have the answer, and if people would listen to me and execute my That's ideas, right. we would have a case study on yeah, how it could things work. Things would be That's different if I was say. king. Just yeah, I hear listen. you. Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. I'm All right, so I, I'm, I'm voting not stupid, and we move to the how would you do it question. It seems like Jason's voting that same way, so Dr. Tyler, your vote is relevant. Unless you have more money than us and you can buy a team of lobbyists, (laughs) then to come shower cash on Jason and I to swing our ideology in your direction. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so to the question, stupid or not stupid, then is it feasible? Which will help us make a final determination. So, how could you do this, or is there examples of it? And I didn't want to bring this up kind of in the previous section where you said, is there an example of it like working inside an economy? But there absolutely is an example of it working in terms of capping wealth. And it's in professional sports. The NFL has salary caps, it has wealth caps, and it generates equality. So I went back and looked at this. I don't know anything about baseball. So Jason might have to save me here, but I took a peek (laughs) at it. We talked about this in our sports episode. So in baseball, you don't have salary caps, right? And you can go back and look at consistently the teams with the best records and teams that have won the World Series and trend that out over time against the teams who aren't as successful. And the biggest difference between those two teams i'm sure jason can tell us very easily it's money yeah it's money it's the salaries yeah. of the players and what they're able what they're able to pay right but then you go and look at the nfl and it's peaks and troughs and the trends are t- are much more even and fairly distributed between teams because there is a salary cap now it's not a hard cap it's a fungible cap and there are penalties and disincentives for violating it but there's a general ceiling that is considered Basically acceptable that says this is the point at which we will all agree to go no further and it protects the purity of the game. And by and large, you see the NFL going forward as sure. the like semi-equity system, equitable system. So you
1: say that, but I would actually look at that slightly differently. Because you're talking about it in terms of competition within the sport. And I think you're right that the NFL is a has much better parity in 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 levels of competitiveness than baseball does. But what I would argue is it also limits the ability of those athletes to make money and the benefit of that is to the owners whose wealth has increased significantly since the salary cap was put in place and like again the wealth is still being generated the question is where does it go and is that a more efficient system i would argue yeah. it's a lot of money going to fewer people so i don't think that that's actually a be- i don't think that that's a good example
2: i i actually had a similar question because i don't i i don't follow professional sports other than ones we don't talk about here except for jason and i uh however you know uh, how
0: i know tyler doesn't follow professional sports because two years in a row i've bought tyler tickets to games to which he has not shown up yeah well ask me if i'm still bitter about it so
2: what and this this goes into like this is territory that i clearly don't understand but does the nfl salary cap include Money that you make from endorsements from Nike or Reebok right? or
0: no. whatever. No, I think we're I think we're getting a little too literal with my NFL analogy. Like I'm not really talking about the owners. I'm not talking about endorsements. I'm just talking about purely the system and the competitiveness of the game. I understand, right? but you're artificially closing
1: we, yeah. off the the ecosystem. And what I'm saying is, if you do that in terms of an economic wealth cap, you know what are we trying to measure? If we're only trying to measure the ability to keep wealthy people at a more competitive rate of expenditure to typical people, then I agree with you. I think it could be very successful. But that is still going to be a lot of money that's going somewhere. And who is benefiting from that? Now, if it's going to government in the form of taxes, or it's, you know, if it's going to charity in the form of donations, well, those people—you mm-hmm. know—people are still making decisions about where that ends up, and some of those decisions can be good and efficient. Some of those de- decisions can also yeah. be terrible, and so, so th- I don't know that that's a like, just having an equitable share of wealth amongst individuals doesn't necessarily lead to societal good. Is my point?
0: So let me throw this at you then, because I, 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 I see better where you're going now, and so this is what this is the system that um, uh, I don't know if I want to be a president. I'm not sure what I want my title to be, but <laughs> if I was in charge potent potentate Matt yeah I, uh, would I personally would go enforce.
1: for dark Overlord of the universe
0: yeah dark, yeah <laughs> <laughs> um, but okay, so uh, imagine you could create this system in which the competition inside of capitalism was capped along the lines of something analogous to the salary cap in the NFL. and if you exceed it, Um, You know, you're disincentivized from exceeding it with uh, penalties against your salary cap in following years. But what if instead of disincentivizing with penalties, we could incentivize it with, with advantages, with breaks? So right now we have a tax system in our country that's completely and totally effed right? With the highest earners disproportionately paying far below their fair share of taxes. And basically, effectively, the largest companies and the richest people in the United States pay effectively zero in taxes. What if when we set that cap, so whatever the wealth cap is going to be, let's say a billion dollars or 2 billion, I mean, we'll figure out a system, we'll get smart people to figure out what that number is. But until... You, you go through a graduated tax bracket just like we have now until you approach the wealth cap. And then money that you earn over that cap is taxed at 100% or 95% or whatever makes sense proportionally. But the further you go into that income that's taxed at 100%, the more tax breaks you unlock for the $2 billion behind it that you made as you approach the wealth cap. So instead of just getting all these baked-in tax breaks and incentives now that everyone's taking advantage of, you earn them through the earnings that you make in excess of the wealth cap. And I think that is the solution for potentate renegers uh institutionalized democracy.
1: Well, let me throw another 10 pounds of sand into your well-oiled machinery here. We have seen well, not quite that system, but we have seen uh, a number of western tax systems that over a certain level, ca- uh, do tax at 95 or 100%, and what you see consistently is that the wealthy people in those countries leave. They just mm-hmm. – they, they.
2: I was just going to say that exact same
1: thing. So the only way that this system becomes viable is if it's a global system, and you know, we'll get into the third part of this discussion about viability. Yep. Uh, that's a really tough one to tackle in my opinion.
0: So, no, I, I agree with you about that. It makes it really hard to work if it's not a global system. But that is an excuse not to start. It's not a good argument against why it couldn't work. And it's all about who's going to be at the vanguard, right? So who's going to go first? I won't name the jurisdiction because I could get in trouble. Uh, but this is a similar argument I've seen with a certain wealthy jurisdiction adjacent to where we live, <laughs> who, um, you know, when someone comes and they want to build something, right? When someone wants to come and invest in the uh I won't say if it's a city, a county, or a township. We'll say when someone wants to come and invest in the jurisdiction, that jurisdiction has an opportunity to try to ext- extract value from them. It's called a proffer. And they can, we can say to them, or they can say to them, uh, you want to build something here. This is the impact we feel like it's going to have on our community. And uh, this is what you should have to pay to help offset that. This is the level of investment we need to see from you to approve your project. Right. One jurisdiction does that. A neighboring one doesn't do it because they say, oh, well, if we try to impose these incentives, these taxes, then no one's going to come and invest here and they're going to come running away. Well, no, they're not because that particular jurisdiction just happens to be the wealthiest and most desirable in the United States, right? There are some places where money's always going to want to be, where investment is always going to come, where there's always going to be a desire to be there and be present. And on the global economic stage, although I think this is decreasing a little bit, the United States will always be that. It will always be the safest, most stable place to make those investments and do those things, especially from an R&D perspective. So if the United States – I get the argument – if yeah. the whole world doesn't do it, then it's pointless. Well, the whole world isn't going to do it unless the United States goes first.
2: I, I I completely hear your argument. And and it's funny because, like, it, this is literally a debate that I had uh, in a previous occupation that I had, which involves debating um, national policy. He won't say I, which nation. I, yeah, <laughs> he won't, yeah. Yeah.
0: The exactly. sovereign micronation of <laughs> yeah, Calahendria. Yeah,
2: <exactly>. Calahendria. <laughs> yeah, it was a brutal dictatorship. Yes, yes.
0: Uh, yeah. very. Yeah, I was the only alcohol. person who got out. Yeah, <laughs>
1: but free alcohol, which was right. made it that. Well,
0: that was yeah. it. Wasn't free. That was the currency. Dr. That's Tyler. Correct. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. Wasn't we free. Just, it was mandatory. Right. was <laughs>
2: just traded in bourbon, and it was really yeah. It was fine. No, it, it's um. I think that that's that's an argument that's thrown around quite commonly. Is like, well, if we if we don't do X, then companies will leave and go to another country. And and I think that there's a very strong argument to make that it's like, well, this is the this is the destination of choice, and this is where commerce mm-hmm. happens, and blah blah blah. I think like, sure, you could try to make the argument about like over time, you know, that may not be the case, but I don't know how strong that argument is. um but I, I will say, like, in this debate, one thing that's been kind of uh, elucidating to me a little bit is it's kind of like... Uh, and we will get to this in kind of the implementation, and maybe this is the pivot to that. But, like, because the implementation or practicality of it, to me, is completely impossible. I think the idea of it, where it may, it may be based upon, like, certain ideas that are, you know, like idealistically sort of grounded you know you know wonderful uh, platforms it still makes it a stupid idea because it's impossible for it to occur
0: see but uh, i i think there are a lot of uh, stupid not stupid answers we've come to on the show where we're like yeah it's a good idea but it's impossible but this is one where i actually disagree because i think that th- this is an existential threat to the economic system of the world to society to our country like eventually this is something we're going to have to deal with and address and because there is like a a ticking time bomb going off here like it it is not actually impossible to deal with because we're gonna we're gonna be left with no choice at some point
2: so i like hear your argument and again like my my biggest blind spot in like my professional background is economics Uh, However, like, I know the people like um, Rockefeller and others were just, like, not rich, but, like, just stupid, like, laughable
0: rich. Rockefeller bailed out the United States government. It (laughs) it was, like, the inverse of what we see today. Exactly.
2: (laughs) So, when you talk about people like that, it's like, okay. So, to me, it seemed like is it reasonable to say that there were times at least in the United States' history, and I'm sure this is true of other nations at the times, that, like, Inequality, or people who are wealthy, the people of that level of wealth have existed throughout time.
0: Sure, R- right. So that that's true, but you have to remember that level of inequality then led to the Great Depression, which we were pulled out of in the Second World War, and it was it was FDR who was the first to propose this idea in the wake of that and, you know, justice for inflation, but F- FDR actually proposed a wealth cap and said uh, no American should make in excess of $25,000 a well, year. He, and said, then it, in,
2: he said that a month after Pearl Harbor and it got a bit, right. a bit, like, you know, overshadowed. So, but even, everything. so, but
0: even it, even ahead of Pearl Harbor after the Great Depression, the Revenue Act of 1935, which FDR also pushed, looked to do the same thing and put Effectively up to a one hundred percent tax rate. I think at that time it was one million dollars, right? So this is we've seen this before, and this approach has been used before. And you know, for better or worse, World War II came and changed the global economy, and the calculus got shifted a little bit. But yeah. look, the 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 scenario, the historical kind of anecdote you're describing here, uh, that's most analogous to what we're seeing today, did cause a global financial catastrophe. And the remedy for it that was proposed by Congress, FDR, you know, the national leadership at the time is pretty analogous to what we're talking about right now it was a wealth gap. That's true. But there's a reason for that, Matt. Right. Like the backlash from
1: FDR solutions to the Great Depression was basically the mm-hmm. beginning of the current conservative economic movement. I mean, this is this is what this is where all of the thoughts came from in the you know, Chicago School of Economics, the entire concept of trickle-down, the entire concept of cutting taxes. And all of wealthy, it has been proven wrong this, again and again. All of this is a backlash to the New Deal economics, mm-hmm. right? This has been going on for 70, 80, 90 years, right? So you're correct that this the, the idea of a wealth cap has been tried. The backlash has been so enormous and so complex that people are not really – putting, they're not adding these things together, but this is, it's a pretty linear story. And to the point that we were talking about earlier, this idea that, you know, if you start taxing people at a hundred percent, they'll just leave. Well, the United States is a very innovative nation, including economically. And what they figured, what the wealthy have figured out is they don't have to leave. They can just ship their money somewhere else. Right, they right. can stay in the U.S. and benefit from the system. They just move the profits offshore so they don't have to have to pay taxes on them. Right, so I don't, I don't even know how you deal with that from a wealth cap standpoint. So going back to this yeah. this implementation aspect, like if it's not global, there are it's you can't play enough whack a mole to make this feasible right, enough it, to even get be- started.
0: Right it can't be it can't be global till the united states goes first so that I, that's my I, that's my point i
1: agree but i don't know that you get enough traction because it would have to be over almost a generation for this
0: to dis- yeah no i, I- I, so I, I agree with that. And the first step, I think, I don't actually know if a lot of people know this in, in our episode that won't... Oh, no, maybe it was our congressional advocacy episode that Dr. Tyler was on. We talked about the insane breadth of uh, portfolios yes. that congressional staff, yeah. congressional I mean, staffers yeah. have to deal with. And one of the things that I had to deal with was social security policy. And I learned some interesting God, things. Uh, the, the, <laughs> the most interesting thing I learned covering social security policy on Capitol Hill is that we cap the point at which you pay social security. So once you start... Uh, once we get to the point in your income past $250,000 as a household, you don't pay social security on that income anymore. Right. So once your household income exceeds two hundred fifty thousand dollars, you no longer can contribute correct. towards Social Security. Yeah, you don't. You no longer contribute to it towards over. $250,000. you don't contribute
2: to it above that. Correct. What? Above two hundred fifty. Yeah, it's a graduated yeah, stop yeah.
0: extracting. Yeah, that caps itself. Well, weird, a cap that gets capped at two hundred fifty thousand dollars. So that's an example, you know, right there. Removing these internal arbitrary caps that allow. The ultra rich, the top, you know, 001% that, you know, based on the statistics we looked at earlier, disproportionately control over 50% of the wealth in our country, just pay their fair share. And that could be a first step towards this, right? Begin to slowly and incrementally equalize the economy and tax system by just – Pulling out some of these stop gaps, and then we get back to my original proposal here of okay, once you hit whatever cap we eventually put in place, maybe then we start to give you tax incentives that offset that to that the money you're paying over that two fifty, right? Like these are the sort of ink, small incremental things if we're gonna make the change generationally. I think we need to do. Sure, um, I, I agree. And with then you, you know, it, it, sorry, sorry to cut you off, Jason, but then it it, it doubles down too, right? Because then we also stop. We take away it's not just that the rich make get a greater benefit over 250, but then also people like the the three of us on this call, like if we combined our income with our spouses based off the region where we all live, that's pretty expensive, we can flirt with that two fifty line. And then you start to lose tax breaks too. Yeah. So there's a point where you like you look at it as a household. And you're like, yeah, we live in, in the, we happen to live in a really expensive area, and we're flirting with that 250 line. Do I want to get a raise that puts me five puts our household income at 255? But now I can't deduct my student loan interest. Now I can't deduct my mortgage mortgage interest. Now I can't deduct my child care payments. Like it, it, these arbitrary uh, these arbitrary thresholds that are put on there are the things we need to start to peel away if we are going to do it generationally. Yeah. Now I'm not going to interrupt you. No, you and I've had a couple of friends that have actually
1: run into that where they've they've considered yeah. turning down raises because it would actually cost them money which is an insane disincentive for right. Right, for earning but i think the real issue there though is that the when that legislation was written it was not it was not written with a clause that would change those denominations over time as the value of the dollar decreased right. So, it, right. you know, it's it was a t- originally yeah. an, a disincentive for wealthy people. It's become a disincentive for upper middle class. It will eventually become a disincentive for middle class individuals, right? So that's that's a legislative fix if there was any will to do it. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: That is that is a that is a hilarious uh, sentence. Right. it's just a legislative fix. Yes, all Jason, you have to do is let me tell you about yeah exactly. All you got to do is blank. Well, yeah, I did oh, yeah, finish let's, that let's
1: off with if those. there was the will to do it, right? Yeah, <laughs>
0: yeah exactly. So, yeah. So stupid, stupid or not stupid, then Dr. Tyler, we should scrap the cap, as the advocacy phrase is. Like, should these caps for Social Security and other tax incentives exist?
2: Should the caps for Social Security exist? Yeah. So, uh, yeah.
0: yeah. So if you it, make it, if you make over two hundred fifty thousand dollars a year, Tyler, should you should you have to pay Social Security on the entirety of your income?
2: Uh, yes, you should. Yes, for sure. Especially if it was like, you know, a reasonably tapered amount. I think that there's there's very, I, I think if you came out and you were like, if you make above, you know, 250000 then it becomes like this absurd amount that you have to pay in Social Security. I think you, you'd receive a lot of blow
0: but, but if you put it at, like, like 5%, a, like, once you hit the 250, like, we graduate down right. to 5%, and then beyond that, it's just 5% of everything.
2: Yeah, like, I think I think that there's there's a way to do it that I think is very difficult to argue against. But I think that, um, you know, again, where it comes down to, like, to me, the, the, the question sort of boils down to, like, whether it's about implementation or about kind of the idea is, like, <laughs> because... Implementation would be so messy, and there would be so much infighting on both sides, on all sides, about how to enact it. I don't, I struggle. And because they're so, like, from what we, you know, because we're avid scholars, obviously, and we've done tremendous research <laughs> on this exact topic.
0: You guys can't see my PhD in economics hanging on the wall behind me here. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a bit dark, but I can make it <laughs> out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, like and because there isn't a tremendous amount of data to show like hey this works in this exact way like i have a hard
0: time seeing how this would carry through
2: and i mean like we can i, but all I think catastrophe is going like, to force
0: our hand though catastrophe is well, going to for- at some point we're gonna have to figure this out
3: well, but the or gfc not.
2: didn't and yeah exactly like there's been global catastrophes and global economic disasters for millennia and it hasn't i mean unless like I, again I could have a giant blind spot here, and you could be like, "Well, actually, in 1849, you know, Turkey did this." Like, that's fine, but uh, like, it, uh, until we kind of come forward with like a reasonable amount of evidence and a, and a conclusion about how to deal with it, like, I have a hard time seeing how this will go ahead.
1: Yeah, actually, historically, what happens, Tyler, is that we don't deal with this. It does come to a catastrophic head. There is some massive economic disruption that impacts disproportionately poor people, people are really hurt, people are, you know, lots of people die, people will starve, everything else, the rich people might get hurt, they might not, the power dynamic will shift, you'll come up with a new paradigm for some economic way of dealing with the world that's different than what it was before, and we just reset and replay, right? So this Mm. idea that we have to deal with this is incorrect. I mean, our system may not survive, but it's not going to be the end of humanity. Yeah.
0: When I say we have to deal with this, I mean, if we want to preserve, like, liberal democracy in our current like society Correct. as we know yeah. it, is the context that I'm That saying. I agree with. Mean, so yeah.
2: so yeah. what what country, uh, if you're going to compare us against someone, like what country does about it?
0: Better? Uh, I'm not saying that anybody does it better. Although it's hard when you when people ask these questions because the the obvious answer starts to become when you go and start looking at like the Nordic countries, right? When you look at Denmark, when you look at places like that. But that also I think is a weak comparison. One because they're smaller, and two because they then depend on you know their common defense, like the EU, all of these different things, expenditures that they. Now we're to starting to get with, right? into my wheelhouse. Yeah. Let's do and this. Yeah. So and I am not even going to try to homogenous
1: that- society, right? <laughs>
0: Yeah, exactly. Right. So um, there are countries that you know from a metrics per- perspective do do it better, but there are reasons for that. So there are not countries analogous to the United States that do it better, but that's not well, a reason it, not to it, try to do it.
2: Yeah, the the, the uh, I I don't know why I would know this information, but you know the the capabilities of extended deterrence and the cost savings that that realizes for many countries and the ability to not expend uh capital in defense spending um because of the guarantee the security guarantee that other nations provide through extended deterrence is significant and i think that a lot lot of people don't understand that americans do yeah Yeah, we just passed an omnibus
0: spending bill we just passed an omnibus spending bill that over 50 percent of it was dedicated to defense like well discretionary spending yeah well and,
2: and not only that but like i'll throw a number at you but like uh, we spent so in the omnibus. Like, if you look at Pentagon and DOE spending, you had eight hundred and forty-seven billion dollars in spending. All right, first That's of all, from I love the fact
1: that both of you guys are talking about this like it's already passed. I'm I'm sweating bullets <laughs> waiting to find out whether or not I have a job next Monday. Right?
2: <laughs> it's it's not. There's passed. a deal. Thank There's you a God deal.
1: The yes. <laughs> you no, know, no, it's not.
2: But you know we 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 did pass a we passed an NDAA which hasn't been signed in by the president yet, but we do have it on with us also, fully out there in the wild. But you know you look at that I and mean, it's eight hundred forty seven billion dollars. You know the conversations that I'm having, we expect the discretionary defense spending for one year, one year, and not even that. It's really from late late December. Yeah, it's not
1: a full year. Yeah, it's about ten months to nine the months, end. Yeah. Of,
2: yeah yeah ten to nine months exactly to exceed one trillion dollars in two years, one trillion dollars in discretionary spending so, and then just for defense, just for defense now, like you can make arguments about why that's important, and then that's fair, but like at the same time, I do think that that's kind of like a it's a threshold moment that we're gonna kinda reach, and everybody should come turn around and say, Is this is it, are we so the, spending this wisely?
0: So this brings up – okay, so this is a perfect segue here, Dr. Tyler. So this is why I think there are like a very finite number of scenarios that we can go down unless we proactively fix the problem. The first is that we get into this like endless loop of what Dr. Jason was talking about in which we just keep crashing and doing nothing, crashing and doing nothing. And then eventually there, we just French Revolution style right like there'll be some sort of violent uprising attached to it that will leave us no choice but to deal with it the second is that you know like whalen enterprises takes over the world right and so i think this is what we're talking about here with what you're saying on defense spending like we have one mega corporate yeah callahan Mm -hmm. incorporated right like basically owns the government owns the like all the operations of society as it's structured um, and we reach out into the stars as like basically modeled off an ant colony, hyper militaristic, super organized and centralized, out out into space, right? Like I, I already be straight know up that the-
2: Matt, you're gonna pay so much money to have an advertising company have a photo of you like reaching out, to, like <laughs> grab the stars, and just
0: like, yeah. oh, with my oh, with all eight yeah. legs, baby. yeah, with all eight legs, yeah, yeah. So we go, we go hyper hyper militaristic, or number three is you know we fix it we fix it proactively. And I think there is, I want to be hopeful here. I think there is a little bit of hope based off of the iteration that we're going in now of this kind of financial unsustainability. And the difference is now that when you look back at the kind of previous depressions, the big difference between what we're flirting with now is that unemployment is incredibly low. So this is the first time we've been on the verge of one of these financial crises where the The workforce is the problem. Like we can't find enough workers. We can't find enough skilled people. There's such a competition for the people who have – there's two things. There's competition for the people who have the skills and there's a bunch of people who don't have skills and have no access to them. And if we start to look at this wealth cap or maybe a system in here where we can tie the increase of the wealth cap that we set to a proportional increase in minimum wage – That's really what's going to motivate people. It's not people who live in the trailer parks around our houses where the three of us live who are looking at Elon Musk saying it can be Elon Musk. It's it's the people who live there who are looking at us and saying, I want to make $25, $30, $50 an hour. That's really what demonstrating that. That's what's going to motivate people. So until we start getting some sort of binary relationship between minimum wage and a wealth cap, or finding some other way to motivate the workforce, I think. I think because the workforce is a factor this time around that it hasn't been before, there's hope this time. See, I'm hopeful. Uh, the the issue though is that
1: there are other solutions to these problems than what you're talking about. I I agree mm. with you. Ideally, that's the way to solve the problem. And from a, a from a democratic American standpoint, it's a much better, much more elegant solution than the other solutions. But it takes a lot of investment and a lot of work and the other solutions are you change your immigration policy which seems unlikely in sure. the current political environment but it's not implausible particularly if if businesses are really having difficulty finding you know labor skilled or un you know, immigration yep. is an easy way to solve that problem without having to invest in your education system or invest in training programs the other mm-hmm. is technology man you just automate this stuff so, and that's really so that's been the, our fuck that's been our achilles heel in this country for the for yeah at least a generation. When people talk about you know offshoring or the lack of manufacturing capability in this country, those are only part of the story. The big part of that story is the fact that we have automated so much manufacturing.
2: Which is hilarious because it's it's that exact conversation um from in my previous line of employment when I would get this like uh the common refrain was like, you know, we need we need another New Deal. We need, you know, this is why the infrastructure bill is so important, and blah, blah 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 blah. Yeah, that was back when building a road section took 115 people to dig things out and do all these different things. Now it takes four. That's right, and it, it, it is it is dramatically different. But, but this is the, the uh this is a separate question that I wanted to ask, and this is maybe this is just like background, and again, kind of shows somewhat of the, my ignorance, but. The common Man, refrain, I'm glad we got an expert
0: as a, as, a, as a guest here, Jason, who <laughs> <You, laughs> he keeps, he keeps you, highlighting his own ignorance.
2: <laughs> you two idiots didn't invite me to the World War III podcast, so here I am. <laughs> so, yeah, My fucking economics podcast. <laughs> um, so the common refrain over the last several months has been like the workforce, like the workforce has shrank or we can't hire people. But presumably, not enough of the population like suddenly died or retired or something. So, like, what? Where did the workforce go? Like, what happened?
1: Well, in fact, a, a not small portion either did die or did, did retire. Die. <laughs> yes, yeah. did.
2: but yeah. but I, I, from what I understand, because I understand that obviously. Yeah. But it seems as though, at least, and again, this is what I understand, is that those values don't equate to labor shortage. The it's the replacement the value. Faces.
0: It's it's the replacement value. So we aren't replacing the people who are leaving. That's It's That's not right. that more people left or they left at a greater rate. It's that we haven't invested in the training and upskilling for the the emerging jobs of the 21st century. Like we are not training solar technicians Like I literally had a call today with a company like begging me, begging me to help them train people who can service electric buses. They're like, it's a totally – all our diesel mechanics, they don't know how to do it. Like it's a completely separate – Skill set. All of these people who are trained as diesel mechanics—they're useless to us. And now, all of a sudden, all of these counties and cities across the state are making these like uh, full electric by 2040 pledges, and (sighs) they're ordering all these buses from us, and we can't train people fast enough to service them. Um, so it's that we're it's, – it's not that people are leaving faster. It's that we're not replacing them with the right kinds of skill people coming in well, behind. And there's,
2: By the way, that's so smart of that company to call you because like <laughs> that, that sort of foresight, like that 10-year <laughs> foresight is so yeah. critically oh, yeah. important. Sorry, yeah. Dr. Uh, Doctor. Oh, no, no, no. I was,
1: I was just going to say. So we ran into this exact same kind of an issue after World War II, right? You had an entire nation that went to war as a nation of farmers. And after World War II, you came back and you needed an entire nation of electrical engineers and technicians. And what we did as a federal government is we invested massively in education, like just to a huge degree. But yep. But again, GI Bill, anyone? absolutely. Yep. But now we're up against a very different political dynamic, which again is this blowback to what happened with the New Deal. You've got the, this this refrain, but that, that
0: investment worked. Well, you've got this refrain. It gave us with, the Greatest Generation, right? But like, you have this yeah. refrain now in American
1: politics that government is the enemy, and government is basically the only institution that I have seen that is capable of ramping that much money into that that kind that diverse a level of training, of anything in our society. Uh, there is no Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk program, or even you know uh, you know uh, Bill Gates who invests a tremendous amount of money in health and education services. None of that can replace what the federal government is capable of doing. And if we don't figure out some way to do that, to, to get over our anti-government bias in order to allow that level of investment in training, this is all kind of a moot point. The only other way around this is either immigration or, or – you know, which is basically just deferring those investments to other countries – or investment in technology that allows us to bypass
0: workers? Well, there's the, there's, one, there's one more, and it brings me to the stupid, not stupid sub-question that I, I want to ask you guys, and it goes back to our AI episode here. So stupid or not stupid, it's more likely that we figure this out and it becomes a non-issue, or because of advancements in automation and artificial intelligence – uh, that we get to a place where it becomes a moot point and we just go to art to universal basic income. Like at, at what point does universal <laughs> universal oh, income become an easier solution? There's-
2: there, there's there's definitely a third outcome there, yes. and I hope both of you have seen Blade Runner <laughs> yeah. because I feel like that's the third option or Terminator, here, it, like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> or Terminator, yeah, like that's option four. Yeah. Like I feel like there's multiple outcomes here, but I do yeah. feel
1: like if we reach the singularity, is, human humanity is screwed. Yeah,
2: <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, it's, it's setting that aside, I, I do think that like there are, there are other outcomes other than like the rosy outcome of like all becoming andrew yang supporters which you know is fine and whatever Yang
0: gang.
2: <laughs> i i just have a i have a, I have a tough time like again going back to implementation what the, the problem is and and like uh, the question that i asked earlier this all to me loops back to like whether it's good policy or this practical or not like unfortunately i feel like and feel free to disagree with me i feel like rhetoric has reached a point where it was like it's an easy and cheap win to say that policies in this realm are socialist or unacceptable or they're going to put you down and blah 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 and they've made them not only impractical but impossible so your I,
0: your only counter argument to it is that it's not implementable but like if we for example scrapped the cap like we talked about and took all the money that was paid towards social security over the 250,000 mark and we used it to pay you know the bottom quintile of America a universal basic income and started recirculating that money in the economy. Those people are the people who spend money who are gonna go out and recirculate it and that money is gonna go back then to the people who own the stores, like the richest of the rich, who are investing in, you know, the widget makers and the the Wixit producers. Like is it just in practicality in terms of like the politics of it that's making you call it stupid, or do you actually think that's a bad idea?
2: No, I d I don't think it's a Bad idea. I do. I do think that it's a stupid concept in the sense of trying to get it passed because I'm just thinking of it through the mechanics of getting such a proposal through.
1: Five hundred and thirty-five people. Didn't we just do it like three years it.
0: ago for the the child tax credit? Yeah, like which that was, then expired and was unable to get passed which, again. Which, yeah, but expired. they passed and, it. I mean, they they got it. I mean there was something done there, right? Yeah. Republicans yeah. led that, like Rubio it, led yeah. that. All it required it, it was a global it, pandemic. It, yeah. <laughs> yeah well,
1: what, what but it, it worked.
0: But but demonstrably, the data's there. Like, that was hugely impactful. Oh, it was. It and then we let it, 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 it And then we let it expire.
2: I, I think that, it, and, and really my caveat to it, and why I think that it wouldn't succeed is just that, like, and this sounds terrible, but, like, I, I do think that For the American public to collectively come across something and say that they would support it, I think that more, more people than the lower quartile have to feel the impact. Because I I, I I truly think that, like, while those people are critically important to the nation, to the economy, to society, etc., like, they are absolutely important. I, unfortunately, think that the, the devices that control, the people that control things like media outlets and... Public persuasion and political influence, I think, don't exist in that quartile. And so I think that if, if there were to be a dramatic impact that would move the needle, it would have to affect more like half of the country or more for it to, for people to be like, oh, be but, do
0: you, but do you realize that, Dr. Tyler, we're talking about amounts of money that could actually affect half the country, like probably pretty easily? Like the, that's the kind of money that's on the table we're talking about here.
2: No. But I, but I, and and you're right. I I I fully recognize that. I think it's not. Um, what I, I think what I recognize in working in my current and previous lines of employment is that it's not so much like the amount. It's about making. It's about delivering it. Well, it needs to be an amount, but it needs to be also delivering in a way where people like recognize where it came from. Because you know, there you, might. You mean be,
0: if Donald if Donald Trump signed your individual stimulus check?
2: Tra- well, and that's
0: <laughs> like we laugh about that, and like it's. Uh, but uh,
2: it it is things like that where people are like, oh, I understand. I see, like they see that they do a, co- a correlation causation thing. Oh, you know, exactly. Like,
1: one of the most depressing this thing
2: happened. On yeah, one of the most yeah, depressing
1: uh, uh, protest signs I saw back in 2010 during the the Obamacare debates was somebody in in a rascal scooter holding a sign that said "Keep your government hands off my Medicaid," right? Yeah. <laughs> so I, I totally understand the point that you're making, right? Um, Matt, going back to something you said earlier, uh, the store owners are actually known as capitalists, and the store workers are actually known as the proletariat.
0: <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. bourgeoisie. Getting back to white yeah, uh, Doctor Tyler's economics to stores. That's right. That's right. <laughs> all right. All right. All right, boys, I guess we'll let you go first, Dr. Tyler. Time to time to make a call. Stupid or not stupid, we should have a wealth cap, and uh, we could do it. Uh,
2: you know what? The egalitarian in me says that, like, this is a great idea, but the practical, uh, actual realist in me says that not only is this implementation impossible, the policies and how it would come to be make no
1: sense, and it's stupid. Dr. Jason. So... I've got a slightly longer explanation. Um, Unlike Dr. Tyler, I'm not an economist, but I do read a lot about economics. You know, I've read Piketty. I understand what what we're up against here. And I agree with you, Matt, that this is a huge issue from a democracy standpoint. Given the way that our system works and given the power that money allows individuals – It is difficult to imagine that democracy survives with increasing levels of disparity. And we are seeing historically unprecedented levels of disparity economically, globally, but particularly in this country. So I agree with you that there's a huge issue. I personally think that a more elegant solution would be ending the ability to pass wealth from one generation to another. And I also happen mm. to be of what I think is a minority in this country in that I believe that the government actually does a pretty good job of spending money. A much better job than I think that the average American understands.
2: Hot take. Hot take alert. Hot take. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, we need so, a,
0: a new uh, soundbite for that, right. Jason.
1: <laughs> so all of that said <laughs> – Um, I actually think that – I think that there are better ways to approach this problem than a wealth cap. That said, I would rather see a wealth cap and deal with all of the instability that it drives than allow this to just play out and end up with with massive amounts of instability. Which, by the way, guys, when you were talking about us being in the top 8%, if you look at the kinds of instability that inequality drives – in the past, it's people like us who end up on the guillotine. <laughs> the highly well, so educated, that, yeah, I mean, sl- you know.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and that's really my whole motivation here. I don't care about all these poor people. I just don't want to be blamed for it when the house of cards right. comes tumbling down. Well, okay? <laughs>
1: uh, and the fact of the matter is none of us came from wealth. Like you, none of the three of us inherited any of this. And right, we're probably not in a position to pass money on to our children in any significant degree that's going to allow them to accumulate wealth to put them into that, the, the the category of wealth that we're talking about here. But that's, that's a pretty, pretty fine distinction for somebody, for somebody that doesn't have anything, right? That's, that's troublesome t- to me. Uh, and as a result, I really like, to me, it's that passing on of wealth that leads to the massive amounts of inequality. And, uh, you know, you look at the wealthiest people in the country right now, they for the most part, didn't have.
0: They all started as millionaires, pretty
1: much. Well, I, I don't think that that's true of like the Bill Gateses, the Jeff Bezoses, and the the Elon Musk. But
0: but those are just the high profile that's ones. A, like when you that that numbers in like the seventy. That's the now, point I think, that I was right? about to like, make. Or the oh, it started at that. Now it's the three hundred something. There's three thousand billionaires across the world, and over three hundred of them live in the United States. Right. And if you and I bet you eighty percent of them started as millionaires. I,
1: probably more more uh, probably a higher percentage than that. So I agree with you but that's not yep. the narrative that we yep. hear. So uh, again, it's a, it's a messaging issue. It's you know, people voting against their own economic self-interests. Uh, like there're huge problems
0: here. <laughs> who would ever do that? Right. Oh, I think you, I think what you meant to say Dr. Tyler was, who would I ever do that? <laughs> <laughs>
2: I don't know what this communist over here is saying, but I would never <laughs> participate in uh, right. such activity.
0: Uh, I love how Tyler's uh, Southern Trump supporter is like an omen in Walmart voice. <laughs> like that she's definitely like on one of those electric scooters and like, yeah. <laughs> or Lindsey Graham. I'm not I, sure. I,
1: right. Yeah. I'm,
0: yeah, yeah. I'm, or Lindsey Graham. Yeah.
2: I'm an artist. I take inspiration from real life. Okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't know
0: what to say. But, all right. So, what's the call? So, anyways,
1: Jason? after having said all of that, I think there are better ways to do it, but I don't think that this is actually a stupid idea. I think this right, is not. Well, stupid.
0: I am uns. I- I'm unsurprisingly with uh, with Jason on one, on this one. It's it's not stupid. One because it's a good idea. So breaking it down here into two categories. One, there are issues here we have to address. This isn't like ideological for me. Like I'm not saying this because. You know, I have some like secret hyper liberal AOC agenda. Like, this is just economically okay, speaking, okay, talk, <laughs> sure. talking about it, talking about being in your own best interest. If we don't start reinvesting in the economy and workers and rebuilding the middle class, the billionaires aren't going to have anyone to work in the factories or, you know, build the electric buses, like service the electric buses, all of these things. Like, it is in their own best interest to reinvest some of this money that they can't even spend anyway. There's two, like, one human, like, legitimately can't spend the amount of money that they're accumulating and it needs to be like reinvested. But I never hear them make that argument. Yeah. I was just going to say, no one ever says that. But I I think, but I think it's because like I pointed out earlier, this is the first depression we've been on the verge of that in a lot of ways, like unemployment has never been this low and we've been this close to a financial crisis. Sure. I just – I'm not aware of an example of it. So I, I just think that at this point in time, things are different. So it's not stupid on that it's a good idea because I think it would literally be good for everybody. I don't think the rich would be hurt. I think that in their it's in their long-term own best interest even though we're going to fucking bail them out anyway well, if things go This is go the go other issue
1: that's is like but. I have no use for the argument that it will hurt the rich because the rich are never hurt like there is right. so much margin for them like if you right. could take a third of their wealth and they would not notice
0: Right? Like, like, it's like not. A, the, yeah. They never know yeah. uh, All you the billionaires in the United, they United they States knows. just increased their wealth by $5 trillion in the last two years, yeah. right? Like, there's there's a margin of error here that they can, yeah. they can you deal with. Th- but it's still, I think. If you set that money on fire or just, like, disqualified all of those those bills it, it wouldn't so they would no burn before their life ended. it would not yeah.
1: affect the lifestyle of any of those people.
0: Right. And I, I think it is long-term in their own best interest. So I'm not hating on the rich. I'm not out to, like, get the rich or anything. I'm just saying... It is in everybody's from the top to the bottom in their own best interest to correct this system. And in terms of it being implementable, I think that there are – like I said, there are lots of instances on this show where we've said that it's stupid because it's not implementable. But this is an example where it's like climate change or a meteor coming at the earth. We don't have a choice. We have to deal with it. And that is pretty much – I mean – Dr. Tyler talked about uh, the unwillingness of elected leaders in Congress to compromise on things. Literally, the only time we get things done is when there's like a crazy impossible deadline and we do it at the 11th hour with one second left. And that's what this situation is going to become. So it's not So this
1: is where I differ with Dr. Tyler just slightly because I I think I lean towards his case more than I do yours. But the fact of the matter is I don't think that it's implementable in a successful way. I think that you could come up with some bastardized version of this that the outcome of would be completely unpredictable. But I still think that that's a better outcome than just letting things play out.
0: It's like the Affordable Care Act. Right. Right. Think about it. Like, Like, it was this impossible thing that had huge political consequences and was incredibly unpopular, got pushed through. There was a huge backlash. It got disassembled. Parts of it got fucked up. We're left with like a less than ideal version of what we wanted but it's better than what we had.
1: Right. But that didn't actually... And that's
0: probably what this will be. The difference was the ACA didn't
1: directly impact rich people. And rich people have a lot of sway in this country.
0: (laughs) All right. Well, I'm going to point out, I set a timer when this started. So I don't know what the actual time will be at when we edit this down. But in the amount of time it's taken us to record this, I just want to go on the record and let you guys know that uh, Jeff Bezos made $11 million. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so I looked up at the rate at which he earns money and I calculated it out. So while wow. we've been talking... Yep, you know, Jeff yeah, Jeff no, Bezos. No, 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 not Amazon. Amazon earned a lot more. He only holds like ten percent of Amazon stock or something like that. So yeah, in in the the amount of time he personally has grown his wealth by eleven million dollars. Yep.
2: I bought, yeah. I bought, I had two Amazon orders in the time we did this. So you know, that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> so, really, and
0: yeah. and Doctor Tyler thinks that's okay that Jeff Bezos <laughs> yeah, made eleven million dollars while we sat here. So he's uh,
2: satisfying market demand, guys.
0: <laughs> okay, well, stu- stupid that stupid nation. Remember when the revolution started? And you're taking people to the guillotine. I hope you have that soundbite from Tyler, from Dr. Tyler echoing in your ears as you release no. Jason and That's I, right. and you I, continue, uh, Dr. Tyler, YouTuber, up to the scaffold, in the line
2: in front of and me. then I,
0: I and just... then Dr. Jason and I will will wrestle and scramble over who gets to pull the lever on the guillotine. Like
2: <laughs> <laughs> I would just like to point out, never bring me back on an economics podcast. This is terrible.
0: <laughs> well as our as our most returned guest we'll we'll think we'll think about maybe it's like a we'll get you a punch card it's so after you do sure. like two more we'll let you we'll let you pick a topic the
3: fifth
2: <laughs> one I get a topic that I actually know something about perfect well yeah. yes right, and a jacket pirates yeah.
0: and jacket. Yeah. Ooh.
3: I
2: have
0: to pay right.
3: for it but sure that's
0: fine well yeah I mean we don't have a wealth cap yet that's so. a, yeah, that's right. exactly. yeah. yeah we're not yeah. socialists Dr. Tyler. <laughs> no, no no all right until next time